How y'all doing tonight? Everybody okay? Amen. You survived the snow apocalypse 2023. Amen. Um, if I've not met you personally, uh, my name is Charlie. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, uh, one of the elders. In fact, I'm the eldest elder by a lot. In fact, the rest of these guys could, could be my children. So, Amen. It's good to be here tonight with you, and because we're talking about delighting in the Lord, I um, thought we'd go to Psalm 63 tonight, so if you want to meet me there, Psalm 63. You know, there's a, <clears throat> there are a lot of benefits to growing older in the Lord, um, to experience many different valleys and mountaintops, um, to experience over and over Again, the steadfast love of God and His faithfulness uh, through many trials and tribulations. And as a pastor, uh, this is my 39th year of ministry this year. And as a pastor, I've also had the benefit of being able to disciple and counsel uh, fellow followers of Christ on this journey here below. And uh, one thing that stood out to me, though, over the years, um, as many have brought uh, really difficult things, challenges, trials, tribulations in their lives. The first thing I always ask is, what is your relationship with God like? What is your relationship with God like? And when I've asked about their relationship with God, words like affection, longing, love, adoration, really aren't used, doesn't really describe their relationship with God. You know, I would say that most of us have faith in God, but for a variety of different reasons, if we're really honest, we lack feeling for God. It's as though we have belief in our heads. We even believe in His love. We know God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and He so loves us, and he gave him on the cross to die, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We can hear that voice. Verse, we know it's true, and actually believe this about God in our heads. But if we're really honest, there can be a passion for God that's missing from our hearts. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. I personally don't want to experience a day, and I don't want you to experience a day missing out on the satisfaction that God has designed for our relationship with Him in the here and the now. So the question I've asked myself and many others over the years is, is your heart in love with God? Is your heart in love with God. And I know what happens. I think what happens is that we get bent so far over into the phileo type explanation and definition of love as action. We completely leave out the passion and the emotion. But God made us emotional creatures. God gave us emotion. Christ on this planet wept and grieved. He had emotion. 
So probably what you're thinking now is how do we create that kind of love for God? Can we somehow manufacture it? How do we get it? Um, I believe the answer the Bible gives us is for us to realize the greatness of God's love for us. Let me say that again. Realize the greatness of God's love for us. We need to realize it, and then we need to receive it. So we're going to look at first four verses in Psalm 63 because it is one of the most beautiful expressions, I think, in all of the Bible of the love of God, the love for God. It's a psalm I personally read every time I meet with Him because I want to love Him with all my heart. And I'm a human being, and I need that provoking from His Word. Right in the middle of Psalm 63, King David, who's writing this, says to God, your love is better than life. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Could you say that? Your love is better than anything else in this life. That's why I believe David feels this kind of longing and love for God because he knows God's love for him is better than life itself. I long to know this and for all of us to know this as well because when we know that, I believe we will long for God like that. So let's look at Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63 was written by a man with a consuming desire for God. God even called him a man after my own heart. A man chasing after my heart. And I think when you realize the greatness of God's love for you, then your relationship with Him becomes a consuming desire, not just a casual discipline. Not just something you do every day because, well, I know I should. No, it becomes a consuming desire. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. It could be translated early, I seek you, or earnestly, I seek you, because the word for seek is related to the Hebrew noun for dawn. First thing. First thing. So the picture is that the moment David begins the day, he wants to be with God. His eyes are open early. And the first thing he thinks of is this, I'm seeking you. All day long, he says, my soul thirsts for you. He's in a desert without water, and he's desperate for it. For what? For God. That's what David's saying. 
I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. Your love is better than life. I know if I can just be with you, my soul will be replenished like water to a thirsty body. He's driven with desire for one thing. And he believes if he can have that one thing, he'll be satisfied. This is like David in Psalm 27 where he says, One thing I ask, one thing I seek. I just want to be with you, God. I just want to be with you. That's what biblical faith is all about. Biblical faith in God is a consuming desire for God. I want you to think about some examples with me. What Jesus is inviting us to in Luke 14, 26 is a love relationship with him that will make our closest relationships in this world look like hate in comparison. That's why he says in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Don't miss this. This is an initial teaching from Jesus. This is an in-depth discipleship lesson number 10. This is lesson number one. If you're going to be a disciple or the follower of Christ, you've got to realize that Christianity is an obsession with Christ. You're obsessed. You're desperate to be in his presence and be with him. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then in verse 23 he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Doesn't that sound like consuming desire? More than my own life, I have to have this one thing. I want to be with you. That's the picture here. That's Christianity. This is what Jesus taught. And I think what happens is if we're not careful, we'll create a picture of the Christian life where we just add God to all sorts of other people and things that we really love in our lives. You know, we love, even idolize family, health, work, money, success, sex, Sports, exercise, food. We could go on and on to a host of other pleasures, pursuits, pleasures in this world. But if we're not careful, we'll give our affection and attention to that. And then we just add God into the mix. I'll fit you in where I can. Over and over and over when I ask somebody, what's your time with God like? Well, it's not good. I just don't seem to have time. There's just so much going on in my life. You see, I'm married and I have children and I have this job, you know, and I just don't seem to be able to fit God in. That does not sound like someone who's consumed with being with God. The real question is this. Do we want Him more than we want anyone or anything else in this world? Do we want God more than we want our spouse, more than we want our kids? 
Do we want time with God more than we want an extra hour of sleep or exercise or so many other things we spend our days doing? Do we want God's glory in this world more than we want our comforts in this world? Do we want God's glory more than we want our money? And if any of these things are true in our life, that we want these things more, that seems to be a sign that we don't realize the greatness of God's love for us. We're talking about the God of the universe here. Who is infinitely more beautiful, infinitely more wonderful, infinitely more loving, more satisfying than everyone and everything in this world put together. He knows us. He knows everything we've ever done. And He loves us anyway. And He's invited us to experience not a religion characterized by cold, monotonous, dull routine. God has invited us into an, to experience a relationship with Him characterized by love and adoration and affection and joy and delight. Don't you want that? Does it something in your heart right now? Just go, I want that. I want that so much. So when you realize the greatness of God's love for you, it just changes everything. Everything. So biblical Christianity involves obsession with Christ. Desire for God. Love for God that's greater than love for anyone or anything in this world. Now don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean it's wrong to love your spouse even a lot. Or to love your kids deeply. Or for that matter, it's, is it wrong to enjoy all kinds of good things that God gives us in this world? No. The answer in light of Scripture is absolutely no. It's all right. It's altogether right. It's biblically right to love your spouse a lot and to love your kids deeply. But God exhorts us in His Word to enjoy all kinds of good gifts that come from His hand. But that's just it. If we're not careful, it's possible to receive these gifts and love them more than we love the God who gave them to, this, to us. I might say even this, it might even be dangerously easy for any of us to love family, health, hobbies, homes, all sorts of things. And even to thank God for those things, but not to actually love God more than those things. So when you realize, when you realize that God's love is greater than anything, then what happens is you want God more than you want even His greatest gifts. Everything in Psalm 63 is focused on God and not His gifts. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Not I seek what you have to give me, but I seek you. You're not a means to an end. You're the end. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Not your gifts. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power, your glory. Your love is better than life. It's better than anything in this life. That's why I praise you. In your name I lift up my hands. My soul is satisfied with you, not your gifts. 
When David says, your love is better than life, he just took what is arguably most valuable to him and to us, life itself, and he's put it in, in a totally different perspective. He's saying, I want God and his love more than I want to live. I want to live. Someone asked me when I got the news that I had cancer. And if they, what, if, what, if, what would have happened if they said, you've got four months to live. I told this individual, every day of my life, I'm in Psalm 63 seeking God. I want to be with God. And you're telling me in four months, I will be. Doesn't sound too bad to me. Doesn't sound too bad. The heart that knows the greatness of God's love says the same thing with every other gift. Even the most valuable gifts in this life. Which is your family. The heart knows the greatness of God's love wants God more than even that. They are all good gifts from God. But when we realize the greatness of God's love for us, our experiences in the wilderness becomes experiences in worship. Some of you are going through some hard times right now. Some of you have come to us and, and have laid your burdens and asked us to pray with you and help you. What does that mean in your life? When you realize the greatness of God's love for you, then your experiences in the wilderness become opportunities for you to worship God. David wrote this psalm in the middle of the wilderness when his life was in danger. And by the end of the psalm, in the face of those who sought to destroy his life, He's saying, the king rejoices in God. How is that possible? How is it possible to rejoice in God when you're in the wilderness, when you're at the end of your rope, and you're not even sure tomorrow is going to come? When you're in the wilderness and God's gifts aren't there. Well, there's good news. In our hope, if our hope, our affection, our adoration is tied up in the gifts, then when one of those gifts is taken away, our hope comes crashing down. Life comes crashing down. When those things are taken away, when you're in the wilderness and you don't know where to turn, you can look up and see the giver. The giver is still there. His love is still there. Do you want to know why his love is better than life? His love is better than life because it lasts longer than life. It's eternal. There will never be another day that He doesn't love us. Not even death can take away the love of God. So when you get to the end and you get into the fall of your life like I am, I said winter, and my wife corrected me. She said, we're not in the winter yet. No, we're not there. We're in the fall. Okay. But when you're in the fall of your life, and you think about breathing your last breath, 
And all these gifts are gone. Just like that. But there's a God who has saved you from your sins. God so loves you, He gave His one and only Son that when you believe and trust in Jesus to save you from your sin and to reconcile you to God, you will never perish. That is love that nothing in this world can ever compare with. Let's pray.